this is Pastor Daniel McGee with Connection Church in New York City. Thank you for listening to our church's weekly podcast. We hope God uses this sermon to encourage you and to increase your faith in Him. If you'd like to know more about our church, please check out our website at ConnectionNYC.com or like us on Facebook at ConnectionNYC. Grace and peace be with you. If you want to join me in the book of Hebrews, we're going to continue our journey through this entire book, and we are in chapter 10. So if you want to go to Hebrews chapter 10, verses 19 through 25 is what we're covering tonight. And tonight we're talking about how Jesus is the better truth. He's the better truth. There are some obvious things I would like to say from a Christian standpoint that There are some verses that come to mind when you say Jesus is the better truth. You think, well, he said, I am the way and the truth. And so I want to just concede the fact that I'm not saying there are multiple truths when it comes to this. What I'm saying is there are multiple things that people consider to be truths. There are multiple things that that people have in life that they follow as truth. And so what we want to see tonight is that of all the things, even if we were to say the playing field was level, Jesus is still superior to those things. So Jesus is the better truth. He is the truth that we want to build our lives around. This entire book of Hebrews has been showing uh, from the beginning, and it will continue to show all the way through the end of it, that Jesus is superior to all of the systems that the world had known, especially the the Israelites had known when it came to their sacrifices. Jesus is superior to all those things, that we don't have to offer sacrifices the way we used to anymore. We don't have to go through a high priest the way we used to anymore because Jesus has fulfilled what was foreshadowed. All those things pointed towards something greater that was to come, and the author of Hebrews, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, is telling us it's come. What we have been waiting for, what we have been hoping for, has come, and his name is Jesus. So Jesus is the better truth. We're going to start with, uh, if you have a worship folder, you can get an outline here. We're going to start with number one, under the truth. And there's some basic two truths tonight that we're going to, to remind ourselves of so that we can talk about some action points are these. We'll start with number one. Number one is, the first truth is we have access. We have access. In verses 19 and 20 of Hebrews, we're going to see where we have something now in Jesus that prior to him, nobody had, or very few people had, and even the few people that had the access, it was limited, and they didn't have it the same way that we do now. So we have access. So look with me in verses 19 and 20 of Hebrews chapter 10. The writer picks up, and he says, Therefore, brothers and sisters... Since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way opened for us through the curtain that is his body. And it's not finished with the verse, but we have to see the access part here uh, to understand what he's saying. So the very, first, the very first part of this is the access. He's saying, since we have access to the most holy of places. If you remember the, the study of the temple, there were certain sections and only the high priest could go into the most holy place to offer the sacrifices to God. And there was a big curtain, a veil, that 
prevented other people from even seeing in there. And so what he's saying is that we have full access to go into the most holy places, the most holy place of God now, through the curtain, which is Jesus. So Jesus, the curtain was torn. If you remember at the, uh, at the, the, the crucifixion when Jesus died on the cross, it said the veil of the temple tore, and it tore from the top to the bottom, and it was impossible for humans to do that. So it was a, it was a miraculous thing that God did to tear the veil and to uh, open up access to all who know Christ, they have access to God. And he was saying, since we have this, through the curtain, and he's saying the curtain is Jesus. Just like that veil was torn, Jesus, his body on the cross was torn for us. When we come into the communion table later tonight, it will be another reminder of the tearing of God's body. The, God, the Son of God, his body was torn for us so that we can have full access to God. We have confidence to enter into God's presence. For me, I don't always have confidence to enter into God's presence. And the reason I don't have it all the time is because too many times I'm putting the focus on my actions, where I've had a bad day, or I've fallen into sin, and I've done something wrong, and I know that it's wrong, and so I feel unworthy to go to God. And that's where the enemy wants me to stay. He wants me to feel like I'm defeated, because if I feel like I'm defeated, I'll stay there. But what God is saying is, no, you have confidence to enter into the most holy place of God's presence, not because you've succeeded, not especially because you failed, but because Jesus never failed. Because of his body, because of his body being torn, you, through faith, have access to God. And so he wants us to have confidence to enter into the most holy place because we are doing it by the blood of Jesus. His blood was poured out for us. It was open for us through the curtain. We have access like has never been done before Jesus. The second thing we see tonight, we have access, the truth, and the second truth I want us to see is that we have advocacy. Access is great, but if you have access to something and you go in there and you die, what good is it, right? And so we have advocacy. We have an advocate is someone who stands in the gap for you, someone who fights for you. It's a, an attorney. It's like your legal attorney in court who goes and is uh, fighting for you, doing everything they can for you. And Jesus is the greater advocate as well. So we have advocacy in Christ. So look in verse 21, we see this. It says, And since we have a great priest over the house of God, and so Jesus gives us access, but he also intercedes for us. He is the great high priest for us over the house of God. Isaiah chapter 49 verse 16 talks about that your names will be engraved on his hands. And that's a, that's a foreshadowing or a prophecy of Christ. And so when Christ went to the cross and now he shows his scars, his names, our names, are written on his hand. And so when he advocates for us in God's presence, he's saying, look at what I've done for you. This is how I'm able to stand in for them. Romans chapter 8, 31, I think it's going to be on the screen, is a result of understanding this advocacy that we have for Christ, 
that Christ has for us. So when we know that God is for us, what then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, if the Son of God, the creator of the universe, is for us, who can be against us? That doesn't mean that we don't have enemies in life. What it's saying is, hey, if this is who is fighting for me, if this who is even for me, wanting good for me, then why would I be afraid of anyone who is against me? Why would I walk and live in fear when I know that God is for me? So when we know that we have access, when we know that we have advocacy, then we're going to walk in the truth of God in a different way. We're going to walk in victory, which will lead us to take some action steps, which we'll look at next. What do we do with this? That's nice, we have access, we have advocacy, but what do we do with it? Well, the first thing, action that we take is, number one, is we draw near. We draw near. We do the opposite of what we think we ought to do. Adam and Eve, when they sinned in the garden, they knew that they had done wrong, and they hid from God. And what God is saying, no, don't hide from me. Come to me. I know that you've fallen short. I know that you've done these things, but I'm giving you access. I'm advocating for you, and I want you to do the opposite of what your flesh is telling you, and I want you to come to me. I want your total focus. I want you to be consumed with me. So in in verse 22, so we're walking right through this section. Verse 22 of chapter 10, it says this. It says, since these things are true, since these things are true, number 22, let us draw near to God. Let's draw near to him. Let's go near to him with a sincere heart and with the full assurance that faith brings having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. So you can leave that part of the verse up there. Many times when we're wanting to draw near to God, we feel unworthy. And it's because our consciences are not clear. We have unconfessed sin, or maybe we've confessed it but we haven't received forgiveness in our own minds for it, our own hearts for it. If you find yourself confessing the same thing over and over that you've done in the past, and you know, I'm not saying you're doing it today and confessing and doing it tomorrow and confessing and, and that. I'm saying you did this like 10 years ago and you're still beating yourself up for it. Then what you need to do is you need to hear these words from, from Jesus that say you're forgiven, that my mercy, it, my grace is sufficient for you, that, that you're clean from that. There's a clear conscience from that. Something is not clicking in our mind or in our heart if we're still walking in defeat for something that we've confessed and still feel guilty over. So how do we get this clean and clear conscience from God? You can write this word down if you want to. It's called grace. It's grace. You can write down mercy if you want to as well. That one works too. But that's how God gives us a clear conscience. It's not because God said, forget about it. Don't worry about it. It's not a big deal. God said, oh, it's, it's a big deal. Big enough that it's going to cost you your life. You're going to have to die for it. But instead of you dying for it, I'm going to send my son. And my son is going to lay down his life. And his blood is going to be spilled. And his body is going to be torn. And that sacrifice is going to pay for all of your sin. And if you will turn to him, confess him as Lord, you'll be washed clean. I will give you forgiveness that's been earned by my son. 
Grace and mercy is how we get a clear conscience. We don't get a clear conscience because we pay it back or pay it forward or pay whatever. We have a clear conscience before God because Jesus paid it all. That's how we get a clear conscience. Grace and mercy. Personally, for me, what has helped me take some steps in, in my own personal faith with the Lord has been in some prayer time having moments where I reflect back in life and I, I remember things that I have done that were just ugly, just bad things. And instead of looking back on them with, with guilt, I look back on them and there's this sense of relief. Oh, dear Lord, you are so good to me that you didn't cause me to have to pay for those things, that you have redeemed me from those. I am not, without you, Jesus, I am a terrible person. But with you, I am redeemed, and I am forgiven, and I am holy. So it causes me to worship the Lord and to thank Him, not because I feel superior to anyone else. If anything, I would struggle with feeling inferior to people because there's a heightened awareness of how, fall, how far I have fallen short. But it also builds me up to where I realize that God has forgiven me of much. And it changes our hearts, that we draw near to God. And we, we draw near to Him because of what He has done for us. That's how we get this clear conscience, this full assurance of faith, this certainty that we draw near to God is not because I am certain that I did well this week, but I am certain that Jesus was perfect then, now, and going forward. He is perfect, and my faith is in Him. God wants us to be totally focused on Him. In, in Psalm 27, I read this earlier in the service, but I'll read it again. This is what David was saying in seeking the Lord. He says, one thing I ask from the Lord. It's a Psalm 27, 4. One thing I ask from the Lord, this only do I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze on the beauty of the Lord and to seek Him in His temple. This is a wonderful verse to ponder over and to pray over and say, Lord, may this be the reflection, the truth of my heart, that this is what I want, that more than anything else, I want you. Don't, not your benefits, but you. Don't you, I mean, if you and I can see through someone trying to use us to get something, when we're walking around, they're like, do you have five minutes for the environment? Nope, I don't. I'm out of here. You know? And so, you know, they want me. They're not interested in me. They want something from me. And now we can pick that stuff out. How much more can God know that we're trying to use him? Well, if I go to church, oh, I've done this before, where, uh, well, first of all, I'm a pastor. You probably knew that. But, yeah, I know. It's shocking. And so, but I, I'm like, I pastor, I go to church, I do all these things, and then some things happen, and I've had these moments with God where I'm like, I don't understand. I'm doing everything right. I'm doing everything right. Why are things going bad? Well, that's just, it's flipped, right? What I'm trying to do, and I don't necessarily do it on purpose, is put God in debt to me. Look at what I've done for you. You owe me. And that is just backwards of what it should be. It is the opposite. What we need to be doing is saying, look at what you have done for me, Lord. What can I do to serve you? How can I thank you? How can I praise you more for what you have done? So draw near to God and focus on wanting him and not his benefits. Focusing in on him. 
So draw near, number one. The second action point is to hold on. So because of the truth, God's given us access. He's fighting for us. He's our advocate. We're going to draw near to him with confidence. And then we're going to, once we draw near, we're going to hold on with everything we have. We're going to hold on with a tenacity. In verse 23, we get this action point. It says, let us hold unswervingly, unswervingly to the hope we profess. For he who promised is faithful. Let us hold on unswervingly. Let us continue to hold on to God unswerving, without wavering, because the one who promised is faithful. The reason we want to make sure that we're holding on to God is because He is never going to let us down. We just sang this, didn't we? You're never going to let me down in the song. And it's a truth that's right here in the Scripture because he who promised the Lord is faithful. It's also in a letter that Paul wrote to a young pastor named Timothy. And in, in chapter 2, uh, it'll pop up on the screen, chapter 2 of Second Timothy, verse 13, it says, uh, it's actually a cool little section there that says if, if we confess him, he'll confess us, yada, yada, yada. But then it goes to a contrast at the end. It says, if we are faithless, so if we walk without faith, if we lose our faith, he remains faithful. That we can fail God, but he will never fail us. And he'll never fail himself. He cannot disown himself. And so the reason we hold on to God is because it's the most secure thing that we could ever anchor our lives around. The truth that God is who he says he is and that he will never let us down. We hold on to God with the tenacity that Jesus, tenacity that Jesus held on to us. The ultimate truth is that Jesus, who was I talking to? Well, it doesn't matter. I was talking to somebody recently, and it was the illustration of, he's talked about the illustration of, like, all religions are the same. That there's a mountain, and God's at the top, and we're all trying to work our way up to him. And so I listened to it, and you've probably heard that illustration before. And I said, well, I agree with you that all religions are the same, with the exception of Christianity. Christianity teaches something different. Christianity says that Jesus is God, and he's on top of the mountain, and he came off the mountain to redeem us. He entered into our brokenness and rescued us, and now, through faith in him, he's the one that takes us to God up the mountain. It's not about us working our way there. And he had never heard that before, and I feel like everybody's heard that before. But there's a, an entire I was going to say the entire world, but much of the world doesn't understand that principle. It's the gospel principle that God has done for us what we could not do. And that is what we hold on to. Thank you, Jesus, for what you have done, and I'm going to draw near to you and hold on to you. And the third action point is this, that we're going to watch out. Draw near, hold on to God, and then watch out it. Look in verses uh, 24 and 25, and we'll talk about what this means to watch out. Verse 24, it says, Let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, 
not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. Can you back up to the verse prior? So the first way we're supposed to watch out is we're supposed to watch out for one another, encouraging one another, and saying like, oh, my brother, my sister, they're, they're struggling. How can I look out for them? How can I help them? How can I encourage them? Consider how I may spur one another on towards love. They're struggling. They have bitterness or sadness or whatever it is in their heart that's not love. How can I encourage them and motivate them to where they have love? How can I encourage them in good deeds? One of the ways to encourage people in good deeds is to realize we don't do good deeds to please God, but we do good deeds because God is already pleased with us in Christ. Does that make sense? That's what the gospel says. We are not saved by good works, but God has saved us for good works. He's done the work for us, and now in that new relationship with God, we're able to actually do things that are indeed good because I'm not trying to get something from you because I've already gotten what I need in Christ. Now I can serve you, and if you like it, fantastic. If you don't like it, it's okay. You know when I can tell, I, you know, I was talking to somebody this week and uh, was talking about like purity of heart and how you can do good things and even be successful in them, but you can do them and have some heart issues as you do them. For example, sometimes when I finish preaching and I go sit down over here afterwards, I am filled with regret. <laughs> because I'm like, I could have done better, right? And so I, that's just something that happens. And I can tell sometimes that when I finish, if I'm needing someone to say, that was a good message, then that means I, I was needing something from someone. But those times where I, I finish preaching and someone says that was a good message and it catches me off guard, that's one of the signs where I'm like, oh, I feel like those are times when I'm filled more with the presence of God, with the love of God, with the security of God, to where I'm not needing anything, but He's given me what I need. And that, that's a huge difference. So we want to be able to, to watch out for one another, to spur one another, to encourage one another in love and good deeds, so that we're doing good deeds from a position of victory and not trying to do it for an increase or for a victory. Does that make sense? That makes sense. You're nodding along. You get that. And so that's one way we can spur one another on is like, look, you have all you need in Christ. And if you're feeling empty, what do we need to do? How do we need to worship the Lord together? How can I pray for you? What is it that's going on in your life that we can have the gospel just infuse your heart and fill you with the love of God so that you find your healing and now you're able to go and to serve other people? So we watch out for one another. We spur one another on. And if you can go back to verse 25... There's a couple other ways we can watch out. It says, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. You can write this down if you want to. Three words. Go to church. Go to church. It's very simple. Um, it, I, I challenge you. I challenge you. All of you. And myself. It's a little easier to challenge me because I kind of have to be here. However, make church a priority in your life. Make coming to this meeting your weekly church gathering, a priority in your life. Schedule other things around it because you need it, and we need it. There's a quote here uh, that came up in our sermon study this week that I wrote down. Uh, it says, you 
are weaker than you should be when you miss church, when you're not going to church on a weekly basis, okay? You're weaker than you should be, and we aren't as strong as we could be. When you're not going to church, you're weaker than you should be, and we're not as strong as we could be. We need one another. You, you know this principle. When there's a, you know, it's a smaller crowd tonight. It's a smaller crowd. That's great. That's fine. But you know there's a different energy when there's a larger crowd in church, isn't it? Isn't it wonderful to go and just feel the energy from other people worshiping the Lord and, and just seeing other, there's other people like me here? There's an energy to that. We need one another, and we need to be serving one another through this weekly gathering. So it says, don't stop meeting together. Go to church. And can you put that back, verse back up there? There's another one. So keep meeting together. Then it says, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. The, the last way to watch out for one, for one another is to not only spur one another on, encouraging that way to love and good deeds, not only to go to church together, but also encouraging one another. It's very easy to be critical in our world today. It's very easy to be negative in, and to, to point out the things that are wrong and be quiet about the things that are good. The people that are closest to you, I want to challenge you. I feel like I'm challenging you a lot tonight. But here's another one. There'll be different challenges for different people. You may already be doing some of them. But here's one. Find the people that are closest to you in your life and out of the blue, compliment them this week. Give them your verbal blessing. I really appreciate it when you do this. Or the way that I see you doing this, whatever, inspires me. Or I see the love of Jesus in you when, fill in the blank, it will change people's lives. And if you get a habit of doing that to people around you, it's going to change your life too. God will bless you, and he will know that he can trust you with good things, and he will bless you with more because you're being a good steward of what he's given to you. God has blessed us with the truth of Jesus, that because of him, we have hope, we have life, we have access to God, and we have God who is literally fighting for us. What are we going to do with that? What are we going to do to pursue the truth of Jesus? The gospel tells us over and over what God has done for us. And the question that remains for you and me tonight is, how are we going to respond? Jesus is the better truth. Will you pray with me? Father, we want to bless you and praise you and thank you for being who you are. You are a tremendous, majestic creator. You are far above anything that we can imagine. Yet in your greatness, Lord, you have looked down upon us and you have given us mercy and grace. And tonight, I pray that we would receive it. I pray that we would look to, to you, Jesus, and we would see how great of a love that you have for us. And that we would know that because of what you have done, that we can draw near to you with confidence, hold tightly to you, and then watch out for one another. Lord, we bless you and ask that you would reign supreme in our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen.